the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Moorhead, Minnesota is the home of Concordia College. And it's there that um, once a year, the entire community looks forward to a great Christmas concert. Yes, they have a wonderful choir and a full orchestra, but part of the reason that it's so anticipated by the community is because each and every person of the community gets to play a role in it. Every year, about this time of year, six months before the concert ever takes place, the community rents out basically a giant warehouse in town, and they put a bunch of panels out. The community decides on a theme that they will gather around that Christmas. It's sketched out, and then each and every person therein, whether they're in grade school or a senior citizen over the coming six months, can paint a tile. Uh, it's like one of those little projects you used to have those workbooks, right, where they'd be numbered by color and you'd shade them in, but on a much grander scale. The end result is quite incredible. It's a 100 by 30 foot mural that stands to the backdrop for the choir at the Christmas concert. It looks uh, quite impressive when it's all done. Usually an artist will come in and kind of finish it out, and then they construct it behind the choir each and every Christmas. And the community often shows up early, and you can hear the whispers that begin throughout the crowd as they gather. Hey, do you see that, that blue corner in the top left? I worked on that over the summer. Or somebody, you notice that top of the star? That was my project. Every summer, ordinary people gather to paint what seems to be an insignificant tile or two or ten, and at the end is something akin to a stained glass masterpiece. It's a wonderful reminder, I believe, on this day, because today on Pentecost, as we celebrate the birthday of the church, we're reminded of something similar. God gives gifts to the church that, when put together collectively, weaves together the most wonderful picture of what he's doing in his redemption of all of creation. So to spur you on towards that end, and as a reminder of that, um, I'd invite you to look with me back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can open to it in your Bible. You can follow along on the screens beginning in verse 4 as we look at three lessons about the power of Pentecost that spur us on in such a reminder. As we open there in verse 4, we do well to note that Paul um, goes through a bit of repetition in those opening verses, does he not? Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Paul, not so subtly there, um, uses a different reference each time. He could have said there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There are varieties of service but the same spirit. There are varieties of activities but the same spirit. But instead, he does what? He gives spirit, Lord, God. It's a Trinitarian reference. He just lets it hang out there. He doesn't unpack it. He doesn't try to expound upon uh, the mysteries of the Trinity, which we get to do next week on Trinity Sunday. He just lets it hang. But for the reader to understand, there is a beautiful picture that he's weaving quite wonderfully in these opening verses, which is, namely, that while we all have unique gifts, 
we are bound together in this unity that God gives. Just as the members of the Trinity, each person therein is distinct, they are undeniably bound together in the highest form of union that we can imagine. And then Paul kind of punches home this point in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He wants to belabor this because just when he writes these words, as is the case down through the ages, um, the church in Corinth was quibbling about standing and prominence, who had greater gifts, who was more important, who had the greater roles in the church, and so on and so forth. So he wants to make it abundantly clear that while each and every one has particular gifts, it's the same God who gives them, and more importantly, um, they are meant to unify and build the church up. In fact, um, St. Basil of Great uh, noted of long ago, one of the early church fathers of this passage, and I quote, um, which gives it even further depth, since no one has the capacity to receive all spiritual gifts, but the grace of the Spirit is given proportionately to the faith of each. When one is living in community with others, the grace privately bestowed on each individual becomes the common possession of the others. One receives who receives any of these gifts does not possess it for his own sake, but rather for the sake of others. Even what we've been given is not for we ourselves, but is for the whole. The point, and perhaps a first reflection on this day of Pentecost about the power therein, is what God does is give gifts for the unity of the church. That's the full reason for them, to bring the church together, to equip the church, as we'll look at in just a moment, but it is a unifying theme. But human nature is the same then and now. There's always a need to want to differentiate, always a need to kind of want to see where we fit. But Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that the goal is union, union with God and union with one another. I think in the West, we struggle with this perhaps even more so. Um, If you think back on your school days, we all had group projects we had to do. Um, And we all were put in groups, right, in school with the objective of learning how to play well and work with others. Usually the opposite came away from those experiences, right? You always had that one person that overachieved, the one person that underachieved, and the one person that ran their mouth the entire time. And rather than walking away going, this was a great unifying experience, you say, you know what, I've got this. Um, I'm just going to do it in my own strength from here on out. Well, God in his goodness as St. Basil reminds us, is, um, is reminding us that we can't do it. God will not impart all of his gifts on one or two or three people, but upon the whole of his church, and that is part of his design. And so only after Paul laboringly makes this point about unity in these opening verses, it's only then does he get into, in verse 8 and following, what are these gifts, at least one list. We find others, as you may recall, in Colossians and Romans and elsewhere, so it's not meant to be comprehensive. But as we go through the list, um, we should note, of course, that Paul continues to stress the same point every single chance he can get. For one is given through the Spirit, um, by the same Spirit, uh, to another faith by the Spirit, another gift of healing by one Spirit, um, the gift of tongues, and so on and so forth, each empowered by one and the same spirit of portions each individually as he wills. In fact, Paul's list, um, and historically understood down through the church, 
um, each and every gift can't actually be used by oneself. One can't prophesy and um, expect that we'll have any influence if no one's there to heal. One can't heal thyself. I mean, you know, that's a biblical phrase, right? Uh, healing and rights thereof are only found in community. Um, so are the extraordinary gifts of faith to bolster the community. They're not given um, for us to kind of have some particular thing by ourselves, but really are only found when they're exercised or used in the context of the church. Thus, God's grand plan plays out, one of union with one another and union with him. Quite frankly, um, the second point about the power of Pentecost is quite evident. It's for the equipping of the church. Um, that the church may be given all that she needs to do the work that God has called her to do in any and every generation. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure what my gifts are, um, or that my gifts matter, or surely someone else will cover it, let me tell you that's not the case. Um, and if you wonder what your gifts are, fear not. Um, around you this morning are um, some spiritual gifts inventories. Uh, maybe you've seen them before. This is a good one. There's a reference to the book from which it comes um, I'd encourage you, make this your homework. Take it home. It's about six pages. You could do it in 20 minutes. You could do it in five minutes or so uh, a day. Fill it out. On the back is, uh, is a score, if you will, um, and then explanations. Drop that in the offering plate. Then make an appointment, and let's talk about it. Um, we can always tell you things the church needs, of which there will always be many things, but you'll have more fun if you're using the gifts that God's given you to do that. Um, you'll enjoy it more. And sure, we can sometimes spot the gaps. We'll do our best. Um, but the point is, is that when people are not using their gifts and others um, spot those gaps, quite frankly, they're stretched in ways that are not very fun for them, while someone else who might really enjoy doing whatever that thing is, um, is not utilizing their gifts. So the point is where this whole passage ends off, namely um, at the end here in verse 11 in this powerful image Paul employs many times, about this illustration of the body. That when each and every one, using the gifts they've been given, which unifies the church, which equips the church for the work she's called to do, when they all use them, then the church functions fully. Paul uses the image of the body. And we know, of course, there are parts of our body we see, like my flailing arms that you see every single week. There are parts of your body you don't see. Um, but you're well aware of. If you've ever um, had, you know, one of those inner ear things, um, either due to swimming or, or an ear infection, my goodness, we're well aware of that tiny little bone that gives us our equilibrium, except for the times in which it's not functioning properly and you're laid out. Um, so whether your job is something that's very visible um, or whether it's something behind the scenes, each and every one has an equal and distinct function, namely for the building up of the body of Christ. And Paul leaves off with this wonderful and not-so-subtle image here in verse 13, that when we actually use our gifts, not only does it help the church function fully, but there our identity is found. So rather than being identified as a Jew or a Greek, slave or free, whatever tags we'll put on ourselves in life, we're then identified as members of the body of Christ. That when we use our gifts, our identity are found in the place and for the sake of the one for which we use them. And that is part of God's grand design as well. And so there is our kind of final point, if you will, one of functioning. When you use your gifts, we have all that we need to do what God has called us to do in this place. When you don't, we do the best we can. Um, but it won't be to the full extent. 
that it could be if we all functioned accordingly. And so the charge and the reminder uh, in this final verse is that you find purpose in exercising the gifts that God has given you. And as you do, you find identity, something that we all seek and desire in this life. Um, and the belonging that we found is certainly within the context of the body of Christ. And by God's grand design, that is the case. Uh, one final illustration, perhaps, that I have seen so many times over the years um, in a cross-cultural mission agency um, that is used every time they're out in the field that seems to illustrate this quite well. Every time a team is sent out, um, they have a, a little bit of a team training, because more often than not, they're going not only to a cross-cultural situation, but the team is often cross-cultural as well. And so, um, one of the practices that is done when they're on site in whatever region of the earth they're in, they do a little exercise called broken squares. And basically, they're given an envelope, and inside are some pieces of a puzzle. The instruction usually from their team leader is, open the envelope and construct the puzzle. Simple enough, even if you're really, really jet-lagged. So, dutifully, everyone opens their envelope, begins to, on their table or on the ground, uh, construct their puzzle. Certain pieces go together, certain pieces don't seem to fit at all, and other pieces are missing. Now, if they're not completely um, jet-lagged and can figure out what's going on, hopefully at some point they look up from their puzzle at their teammates and realize somebody has a piece that fits theirs, Theirs fits someone else's, and they have to work together to ask for what they need and to hand off what they have. And the point is that the team only functions when each brings um, what they need to the table and when they're humble enough to ask for help where they need it. And that is how the church is called to function. And when we do that, we do all things that God has given us to do with the excellence with which he provides, knowing, of course, that it's not we who do it, but the Spirit of God who does those things in and through us. And so today, on the birthday of the church, uh, may we be reminded of this charge, that namely, God has given you gifts. You are valued, you are loved, you have something to offer in this place. Look at that. Spend some time this summer and kind of the respite that we get, at least from the regular rhythm, and then offer those. When you do, you will find identity and purpose in the full functioning of the church, and I guarantee you it will unify us and propel us forward for all that God has called us to do for his sake and for his glory. So today on the birthday of the church, may we be reminded of such things, that it's not just a celebration, but it's an invitation to join in with this grand plan that God is continuing to roll out throughout all of humanity until he returns as he makes this wonderful mural tapestry body, whatever imagery you want to use, under Jesus Christ the head. To him be honor and glory both now and forever. Amen.